Welcome to Research Bites, the podcast about research students and their journeys in academia. My name is Imtiaz Desai. I'm joined by co-host Felix Cohane, and today we're talking to fellow co-host Lachlan Gray about his PhD project on sex bias in autoimmune disease. Lachlan, how are you? Yeah, good. It's a nice day today. It's a little bit cold, Beautiful. but nice classic Sydney winter's day. It's mm. good. Lovely. Well, uh, why don't we get started with, um, do you want to go over how you got into your journey into research and where you're at now? Yeah, so I did my undergrads at Macquarie University um, and my two majors I don't know how this happened, but I somehow got a double degree. I remember in when I was getting like graduating, I remember they were like, "Oh, and Lachlan Gray doing a double degree in this," and I was like, "Oh, okay, that wasn't that was news to me." Um, <laughs> um, so, if anyone from University is listening, don't don't take those away. Um, uh, yeah, so my my majors were biomolecular science and human biology. So, the biomolecular science was was very you know, like a bit of genetics, mm. I know, like, did, like a lot of proteomics, like protein work. Um, and then the human biology stuff was a lot of anatomy, but I've, by second year, I really got interested in the brain. So I did everything I could to avoid learning anything but that. So when I had, you had to do, you know, in like anatomy, you do like heart, kidney, yeah. you know, you do all of the different everything. bodies. Yeah. I would like, I really weaseled my way out of those because I just wasn't interested in, yeah. in learning about well, them. Neuroscience is like fascinating as well. So. Yeah. So I did lots of like neuroanatomy and neurophysiology yeah. and I found that just captivating. I thought it was, my favorite thing was that we knew so little, you know? Mm. The brain, working out the brain. Yeah. Yeah. You'd ask questions <laughs> and the lectures would just have no idea. No one, just cause it just, no one knew. So it was, I found that really exciting thinking about like a, a, a new field. Right. And that's quite interesting because that's not kind of how you're at now so after your studies what did you which way did you say kind of pivot or yeah so um so Macquarie University the year I started they actually got rid of their honors program um and so their, their idea was you do an undergrad and then you do a master's because a master's is kind of a bit more of a globally an honors degree um I guess most people listening from overseas would, would know this is is a pretty I think it's pretty restricted to New Zealand and Australia. Australia, yeah. Um, so I didn't really want to do a master's. I was a bit kind of done with the university at the time. Um, so, you know, I went traveling and all the rest. And then I realized that in order to get a job in science, you had to have some sort of research experience. So I started a graduate diploma at UNSW, which is, it's like an honors, it's one year, but you also have to do coursework. So you do a thesis, but you do coursework. Right. And what, were, what was your major? So that was like, I guess you could say like molecular neuroscience, which I like to say because it sounds impressive. Um, <laughs> but the, the project was on these things called microexons. So, um, you know, as we, kind of, we spoke about last, last episode with Felix, you go from DNA to RNA to protein, and the protein does the, the thing, right? Mm. Um, but within, within RNA, RNA has a lot of different structures, and the lab I was in with um, Dr. Michael Janitz, uh, he was really interested in these things called non-coding RNAs, or mm. sort of alternative RNAs. So microexons, the name, as it says, are these really small protein-coding elements of our genes 
which are included sometimes, but often not. But in the brain, they're very common. And they're, they're linked to like schizophrenia, mm-hmm. um, uh, ASD, like autism spectrum disorder. Um, uh, I mean, probably a host of other neurodegenerative diseases and other diseases of the brain. But I was looking at ASD. And that was a really interesting thing because it was bioinformatics, which is what my, I guess my overall major is, is, is bioinformatics. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and then, then after that, I did a master's looking at um, these things called circular RNAs, which are these non-coding RNAs, again, in the brain. And I was looking at their role in epilepsy, um, a type of epilepsy called mesotemporal lobe epilepsy. And I was able to uh, suggest, and I wouldn't say show, because bioinformatics has its limitations, but suggest that sort of these, uh, it was like uh, six circular RNAs were having a role in um, this, this disease and they're actually changing the brain structure. Mm. Um, it's, in, it's funny, like the name non-coding RNA kind of suggests that they're not as important as like the other areas, but now we're kind of realizing how important and how much of, the, of our sequences are non-coding. It's really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, it was one of the, you know, 2002, I think it was, when they completed the human genome sequencing yeah. project. It was just like this massive collaboration around the world, cost billions of dollars. It was like such a pioneering, a huge moment in the history of, of science and biology, at, 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 you know, um, in whole. But it was one of those funny things where once they sequenced it, we then realized that like 95% of the genome, we don't know what it does. Yeah. <laughs> we have no yeah. idea what it's saying. This is this junk DNA, exactly. you yeah. know? Yeah. And so these non-coding RNAs, you know, are composed often of like, non-coding introns and these different structures, which do make up some of that non-coding genome. So that was the brain. Mm. And now you're looking at sex bias in autoimmune disease. How, tell us a little bit about that transition. How did you get there? Yeah, I ask myself that every day. (laughs) No, uh, I don't know, it was, so, like I really enjoyed, you know, the lab I was in and, and the master's project and I got a really nice paper out of it, I was really proud of. But I don't know, I just I just wanted to change it up. I wanted to 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 get you know I've I've always enjoyed like a challenge. I've always enjoyed kind of feeling like I'm drowning. So I just decided, you know what, why don't you just change fields for your PhD? Um, which in retrospect was an insane decision. But um <laughs> And also, you know, I, I touched on this like bioinformatics. Yeah. Um, so this is this, um, you know, this field that's just been getting more and more um, important over the last like, 15 years. But it's, it's, you could also call it like, computational biology. I haven't decided what to call myself yet. But yeah. for, our, for our non-science oh, yes, yeah. listeners, like, what is bioinformatics? How would you explain that to the non-science listener? So, um, you know, like... Uh, MTS and Felix, when they were in the lab, um, they're dealing with um, biological tissue, cells, blood reagents, microscopes, pipettes, <laughs> doing all of the things I don't know how to do, all of the magic. <laughs> and then, you know, they, they, they're able to perturb cells and ask these questions and do these things. And then they generate their, their data. And, and then the, the data generation and the analysis is kind of very at the end stages. For, for you guys, it's the build-up and the, the planning and the doing and everything is, is the science, is the research, right? 
for me, for bioinformatics, I just like, I'm just like a bottom feeder. I just download, <laughs> just download genomes from the internet for free from like government websites and just analyze them and ask different questions to what the original um, authors had done. So for example, uh, RNA sequencing was a very, you know, common um, sort of technique now. And, and in my PhD, I've gotten into something called single cell RNA sequencing, which I'll get into later. But you know, you can just download these, these, these reads, these sequencing reads, align them to the human genome and perform statistical tests to determine what is different between a healthy control group and a disease group. Mm. So for example, in, um, in, in my masters, I was taking, um, RNA sequencing data from brains of people with epilepsy and without epilepsy and doing these comparisons to find, to figure out what genes are being expressed differently yeah. in disease populations so versus healthy populations. Yeah, they, they might be more expressed, they might be what you'd call upregulated or yeah. less expressed, like downregulated, and those sort of um, perturbations we, we sort of infer as disease causing. Yes. Yeah. So not really a bottom feeder. Like <laughs> no, 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 I know. A I know. critical step right. in the research, like all the lab stuff has to get done, but from there, the next stage is the bioinformatics. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. seems to be part of your, your passion and part of what led you to the route you're in now. Definitely, of. definitely. Um, so my current supervisor, um, uh, Dr. Sarah, Sarah Bilal, is at, at the Garvey Institute where I'm, where I'm doing my PhD. Uh, I was just super impressed by, you know, the, the work that she did. And I could, it was pretty obvious her skills in bioinformatics from reading her papers. So yeah. that's, that, well, I think the project was kind of secondary. It was like, I want to learn mm. some things I've never learned before. Um, and then, then I realized I didn't know anything about the immune system. So then, <laughs> I have yeah. a, maybe just going slightly backwards, but so throughout your undergrad, it was mainly biology focus. Mm -hmm. um, did you sort of then realize later that you really were interested in bioinformatics or were you building those skills because obviously bioinformatics, bioinformatics takes a lot of like computational skills mm. computational knowledge coding mm. were those kind of things that you always knew that you were interested in and you were developing throughout your undergrad or, or just at the end no like i just I, I kind of fell into it to be honest it just i remember like you know during during my my graduate diploma like my honors equivalent and even masters i was sort of trying to get in the lab being like okay well, if i were to you know find the signature of some gene or something mm. can we go in and validate it in yeah. the lab and yeah. it just it didn't really happen but yeah you're right like I, I had to teach myself coding python i had to teach myself a lot of statistics yeah just learning computer programming from the internet yeah. it's, it's a frustrating thing it's <laughs> it brutal it's a tough like skill to get yeah you know, but it's an important one like learning how to be wrong and learning <laughs> oh, like, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like one of the things that everyone should should learn is like when you're wrong how do you find an answer without having to ask someone I mean, obviously asking someone is really important but like developing skills on, on, you know, searching forums and searching, mm. like being able to, to troubleshoot through mm. Google is like such an important skill that they should really, really stress in, in students, I think. Um, but I think it's also I means the future. I mean, like algorithms drive the modern world in some form or another. Like, yeah. you know, artificial intelligence is already at the forefront of like totally. major sectors around the world knowing what a computer is and what it's doing and how to like in interact with a computer, I guess you could yeah. even say, converse with a computer, computer literacy. Uh, is really important. Yeah. So I feel like, uh, 
yeah that's i wish i'd, I'd learned done it in my undergrad yeah thing. yeah well we we know who to come to once we've passed all of the wet lab stage right yeah we're coming to sure. you <laughs> yeah. yeah so what what questions in your or question are you looking to answer using these skills in your phd project okay so it's to start off i think it's important to um to recognize that so i'm going to be using you know the words like male and female in this ex explanation and i think it's really important for listeners to to you know think about and recognize that that's very different from like man and woman or boy and girl so we're really separating the gendered aspects of the language out from it and really focusing on the biology, which is XX and XY. And that, you know, that can have its own problematic elements too, because it's not as binary. You can have people, uh, Kleinfelder syndrome, Turner syndrome, where they have multiple X chromosomes. So you've got like XXY or X0, but then you have one X chromosome. So it's not a completely binary thing, but overall, are we, are we talking about XX female and XY male? So the question is, why do people with an autoimmune disease, which take up about 10% of the Western population, which is you know, quite a lot of people, yeah. millions and millions of people, 80% of those, that 10% are female. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, That's yeah, so 80% of all people with an autoimmune disease are female. And there really aren't many human diseases that have, I mean, unless it's like a tissue, like breast cancer, yes. obviously, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. or like prostate cancer or something. But... Um, I mean, as far as I'm aware, across the board, 80% bias towards females is pretty unusual. So that's fundamentally the question, which is a pretty sort of basic question. Um, but yeah, in order to explain it, I had to explain elements of the immune system. So I've totally fallen in love with the immune system. I think it's, <laughs> it's like, I'm enamored. I think it's absolutely it's incredibly fascinating, but um, overall, the, the immune system, its function is to, it basically has two functions, to um, determine self and non-self, and also for tissue repair and, and, and these sorts of things. So what does like self and non-self really mean? I think it's kind of, it's even like a philosophical yeah. question, there, right? <laughs> yeah. Like Descartes, I, I think therefore I am. This is getting deep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, it's, it's quite interesting because... Um, our immune cells and our cells across the board, they have um, things called receptors, right? And these receptors are just picking up patterns. So if you're just thinking of cells recognizing patterns. Yep. So when you, when you get a vaccine, like the COVID mRNA vaccines, you're being delivered, you know, the spike protein. And that is simply just a pattern, a shape. Yeah. And so when, you know, you get um, infected with a virus or a bacteria or a... Um, something like a parasite, a worm, or whatever it may be, your immune system is recognizing those patterns and having an immune response towards it, where you've got, you know, production of antibodies from, from B cells, and you've got these cytotoxic T cells and actual killer cells, and you've got all this, all these, there's this whole host of, yeah. of, of cells. Yeah, there really is, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's their function, is to recognize patterns. Yes. And in autoimmune disease, our immune system is recognizing patterns that are coming from us, like the self. So not from an outside, like not from an, an infection outside. or something like that, our own cells. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
uh, autoimmune disease is a very common one. You've got um, lupus, well, like SLE, so systemic lupus erythematosus, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, uh, celiac disease, um, uh, multiple sclerosis. There's, there's a bunch of different types, but those are the sort of like the and big names. Question, is, um, is this sex bias seen in all of those kind of diseases mm. or is it specific about the biology of a disease particularly? So diabetes type one and Crohn's disease, uh, and there's another one too. Uh, I think it's like a uh, rheumatic heart disease thing it's called. Um, they affect males more, right. but across the board it's, it's female. Okay. So Sjogren syndrome 16 to one, for example. And, oh, is there, is, is it, yeah, exactly. Is there like one or two diseases that are over overrepresented, like in, you know, skewing it so far, just one. Oh, I see what you're saying. Or yeah. is there multiple different diseases that are all slightly affecting women more? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. So uh, you can look at individual diseases, but then across the board. Across the board. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's that's good. Um, I think that's a really nice exp explanation of the immune system. So. How does that relate to um, sex chromosomes, I guess, is my question. And, and maybe what is a sex chromosome? I know we mentioned XX and XY, but mm -hmm. just for people that potentially don't know what a chromosome is. What? Yeah, so we've, we've got DNA, um, and that's inside the nucleus of, of our cells. And our DNA is, like, massive. It's very, very, very long. It's, like, um, three billion... Um, base pairs, right? They're about, um, it's funnily enough, it's about three gigabytes. If, oh, you, nice. if you've got like a full human genome sequence, about, it's about three gig. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, and so our DNA isn't just sort of floating around, it's actually wrapped around uh, what are called like histones, and then those histones compress our DNA into these like really tightly bound structures called yeah. chromosomes. Little packages. Little packages. And we've got uh, 23 of these um, individual chromosomes, or 46, but 23 pairs of chromosomes. Um, and uh, males and females have identical chromosomes, bar um, females have two X and males have um, an X and a Y. And so um, maybe if, if, if you're thinking, okay, so chromosomes, they have genes and these genes are making proteins and blah, blah, yep. blah what would be the outcome of females having an extra chromosome? Yeah. Essentially, right? Because mm -hmm. if males have a Y chromosome, which is a very small chromosome, it's only yeah. got a few genes, basically like um, sex-determining genes, more or less. Um, and so why do females have two X chromosomes? So there's this process which happens across many different species. In platypus, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, there's a you want to you uh, in Dr. Paul Waters' uh, lab where they look at platypus genomes and they've got like five sex chromosomes and they have yeah. these weird... It's <laughs> like platypus are so weird. Yeah. Like, you, you just you couldn't think that they could get, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On top yeah, 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 of yeah. the weird things they had, they've got like the most random sex chromosomes. Yeah, yeah that's really strange. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so there's this process called X chromosome inactivation. And what that is, it basically randomly, one of the X chromosomes in every single female cell is switched off. Um, and that basically allows what you call a gene dosage between males and females. So that males have one active X chromosome and a Y, and females have one active, one inactive X chromosome. And so it's sort of keeping a balance, mm, okay. right? 
Because is that because because if they had two active, there would just be an imbalance of the number of genes that could there be would, expressed. There would double the amount of genes yeah. being expressed, which right. we know is not not good. best thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they could be going high haywire. But then uh, I like to say. Uh, because it's biology, that inactivation isn't perfect. Yes. So 15 to 25% of genes on the inactive chromosome are actually escaping that inactivation. inactivation. Yeah. And that is what's now linked to autoimmune disease? That's the idea, is that okay. there's a lot of genes on the X chromosome, which um, I'll use the word like immunomodulatory. What that simply means is mm. that they're able to modulate or um, affect the immune system. The X chromosome isn't rich for these types of genes. Right. The idea is right. that if females are expressing more of these genes, is that making their immune systems more active and therefore more reactive to itself? Right. So there's differences in localization of particular genes relating to particular functions. For example, like the immune system, as we just mentioned, between the X and the Y, mm -hmm. which is why we, is that, is that why, for example, women have slightly better immune system, is that right? Yeah, that's also true, yeah. So I'm sure everyone's heard of man flu. Um, <laughs> you can basically prove it, right? Like, uh, females are just better at dealing with infection. That's just a cold hard fact. Like, there's been studies, I uh, read this study, it was um, pretty, it was one of those studies where it's classic science, so they weren't looking for something and then they found something. Yeah. So they were giving, um, I think it was like in the US Army, um, they were giving, uh, it's like flu vaccines and then testing um, the antibody levels of the vaccines. And they found that if they gave females a half vaccine dose compared to a full dose of males, they actually had a better immune response. Right. So even though they got half the amount of the virus, they had a more robust and more effective immune response. Wow, that's pretty incredible. So it's quite interesting because what is giving them a stronger immune system is also making them more prone to basically yeah disease yeah. or these particular types of diseases yeah, yeah. but then something else i should mention is that autoimmune diseases um they have called multifactorial and complex diseases and bloody earth are complex um <laughs> so it, the x chromosome is a is an influence you also got the influence of the immune system but the microbiome actually plays plays a role um, and sex hormones also play a role because yeah. obviously, you know, estrogen and testosterone, right? So mm. that's, that's, that's a whole other avenue. You're gonna, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but the microbiome stuff is really, really fascinating. I'm, I'm reading into it at the moment, but you know, um, there's been studies that show that butyrate, which MTS was talking about in, in episode one, uh, actually, um, can, uh, enhance memory B cell, um, production and plasma cell production and, yeah, it's kind of got these really interesting intense. immune roles. Yeah, so. right. it's apparently one of those magic molecules, right? Mm. One of the important links between the microbiome and, um, and host physiology. Mm. So if we tie it back into your PhD project, mm. where are you at in the process now? What have you done? What have you found out? And what's coming up? Right, so um, the technology that I'm currently um, looking at is something called single cell RNA sequencing. So there's a really simple analogy. Um, so so uh, this is kind of like a new updated version to what, what you'd call like bulk RNA sequencing. So in bulk RNA sequencing, imagine you're making a smoothie and you've got like bananas and, and strawberries and blueberries and some freaks put peanut butter in them, um, <laughs> yes. you know, that sort of yeah. spinach, you know, like oh, oh, kale, whatever, whatever. <laughs> whatever your smoothie is, imagine that. 
Um, bulk RNA is, is going, okay, let's look at the smoothie as a whole and look at all of the different things coming out of the smoothie. Single cell RNA sequencing is, is being able to uncouple or um, cluster those different um, uh, fruits <laughs> from the smoothie. So using this technology, we're actually able to go, oh, so the banana's doing this and the blueberry's doing that and right. whatever, right? That's so, my like. That's yeah. my attempt at an analogy. <laughs> that's a good yeah. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. understand it. Thanks. <laughs> Anything food? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're able to see single cell responses rather than population responses. Yeah. Right? So where we look at uh, PBMCs, so peripheral blood mononuclear cells, aka immune cells, right? So again, I just download data from the internet, and I take. Let's say there's like 20 samples. I'll filter out the males from that, and I'll have healthy and disease. So currently I have five autoimmune diseases. I've got MS, rheumatoid arthritis, SLE, primary Sjogren's syndrome, uh, and ulcerative colitis. And the idea is to um, perform what you'd call like a differential expression analysis, which is this statistical test to work out per cell type, mm. what are the differences between healthy and disease? Mm. And then when I find those genes, look at, okay, well, which of these genes are X chromosome genes or these escaping genes? Yeah. The trick is, is that I just have mountains of data. So that's kind of where I'm at now is trying to work out a clever way of thinking about this problem to, yeah. Because um, the, the idea is to find a sort of like common themes across multiple yeah. autoimmune yeah. diseases. Common um, drivers of these diseases. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Right, and so... You just mentioned that you filter out males and you're mainly focusing on disease versus normal tissue in, uh, in women. Mm -hmm. Are you thinking about comparing, say, normal or disease between different uh, sexes? As in, like, also looking at males? Yeah. Um, well, the question I'm, I'm looking for is female-specific. Yeah. So it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. You're, to you're very at, I'm looking at this, like, X chromosome activation. Um, I mean, I probably should, but I feel like studies on, on men, we've done it. It's, 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 you know, drugs are designed for men. Everything's designed for men. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's about time we actually did some more research, female-specific research, asking these questions in, a, in this particular, particular way. Yeah. So it's fascinating how different, um, like, the responses are between men and women for, you know, immune, immune response and, and things. What are your thoughts on, uh, in terms of when you're reading studies and in the study they make no mention oh, of, of yeah. male, or sorry, of, of gendered in, uh, in their mice or in yeah. tissue samples? Obviously yeah. it's a bit different if it's like, as we mentioned, a, a disease specific to a, a male, like prostate cancer versus breast cancer, but in these kind of other pan, pan sex. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really frustrating. It's really annoying um, because you're, you know, you're you're reading these studies about, you know, um, Sjogren syndrome, where sixteen to one, where female to male, and they don't even mention sex at all. Or they've got their samples there, and then you have to scroll through all their like supplementary tables to find, you know, at least a mention on the breakdown of of sex. Even with the data I'm downloading from the internet, if they don't include in the metadata. Mm who's who, I have to look at their genes and yeah. work out a way to, yeah. to stratify it's based on sex. It's not always that easy, right? It's really annoying. Yeah. Um, but 
I mean, that's just how science currently operates, I think. Yeah. So anyone listening who's a scientist, uh, include that information, include <laughs> those considerations into, into your study design, for Definitely. sure. Um, Sex is a biological variable. It, it's, it's the big thing. Yeah. yeah, totally. Have you got a little piece of advice for undergraduate Lachlan? Um, buy stocks in Tesla. No, um, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about this. I think I wish I uh, I enjoyed statistics more because I do a lot of statistics now, and I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. And I've had you know I've had to teach myself a lot, and I just when I did it at my undergrad, I just hated it. Yeah. I just found it so boring. I just sort of so useless, but. I think statistics is really important, not only in science or, or research in general, but just for the world. It's like mm. just looking at studies or, or politics or, or thinking about making a decision, mm. thinking in a statistical framework and actually improve how you go about your life, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my advice, yeah. Isn't it amazing how like back in undergrad, statistics was probably boring to us because it was taught so boringly. Yeah. And, like the power of, of now applying sort of things to your own problems, like it makes it so much more interesting. Yeah, it's that applied perspective, right? When we were doing it back then, perhaps we probably didn't realize how we could apply it mm. or see, see that, that end stage, you know? Whereas now, I think when you can see how you're applying it, both for your knowledge and for the greater good, so to speak, it, makes it more interesting mm. makes it more fun definitely yeah. yeah well thanks so much for uh for joining us this week Lachlan um next week uh, we're keen to have our next guest on and, and again please do send any uh any requests or people that you think we should interview or any feedback on, on the podcast so far we'd love to hear your thoughts um thanks guys see you later thank you thank Bye-bye. you